As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The race is on, and just like that, Formula One pre-season testing is done and dusted with the completion of the third and final day in Bahrain, and Red Bull's Max Verstappen set the pace, with the best Mercedes lap a second down. We know that's not representative, but what's the real story? I'm Ed Stewart, and joining me to answer that question are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, today we saw a flurry of quick lap times towards the end of the afternoon, Verstappen did the best lap of 1 minute 28.960 on the C4 Pirellis. AlphaTauri driver Yuki Tsunoda was second fastest on the C5, so that's the softest available tyre, just 93 thousandths of a second slower. Carlos Sainz third for Ferrari, 0.651 seconds down. Kimi Raikkonen fourth, eight tenths down. And then Lewis Hamilton fifth, 1.065 seconds down. But of course, headline times can't be trusted. And as ever, Mark Hughes has been following every single lap. So what's the real story as you see it? Yeah, it literally was every single lap. I put every single lap of the last three days into an Excel sheet. Um, so, um, yeah, sort of seeing treble at the minute. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting when you sort of break it all down. Um, and definitely there was a, a big step up today from the, the two Honda-powered teams. So um, we speculate that, you know, maybe they've been... Um, allowed to run them a bit more aggressively today because they established the reliability for the previous two days. I don't know, but def- some some of it was that. Um, the change in the competitive order was seemed to be a boost from the two Honda-powered teams, and some of it was Mercedes. They were just the, both drivers struggling with a unstable rear, and really they, they found very little performance from yesterday, whereas most other teams found a big chunk of performance. Um, so... Yeah, a combination of the two really completely changed the competitive order from yesterday. Yeah, it's interesting. I did watch a little bit from Turn 11 and the Mercedes. We never really saw Hamilton do anything like what Verstappen did in terms of how he could attack the corner, etc. But yeah, 
interesting kind of position we see. It's like the reverse of the normal, isn't it, with Red Bull doing the miles and, and looking quick and, and Mercedes struggling a bit and having a bit of instability. What do you make of it, Gary? Um, yes, I mean, obviously, it's early days. It's the first test. It's been a three-day test. and In reality, you know, the first day was, uh, the afternoon was lost to a bit of a sandstorm, I suppose you might call it. I mean, people still ran, but it, it really wasn't representative. So it's a very limited amount of running that we've seen from everybody. Uh, Mercedes had a bit of reliability problems, but, you know, today was reasonably representative. And, and on the track, you know, I don't think the Mercedes looked good. That's the thing about it. Never mind the lap time when they were second slower or whatever it was. But it never looked comfortable. It never looked as though it had, as you say, Mark, that rear-end stability to allow them to really sort of launch it into the corner or stand on the throttle. I mean, even whenever it was okay, you could still hear sufficient, uh, over too much wheel spin, basically, on the exit, especially out of the hairpin. Um, so it doesn't look like they got the rear grip there. Um, we can all say it's about tyres and getting the tyres working correctly. And, you know, last year they had the benefit of their DAS steering system. Has that hurt them for this year? Because they had something last year that helped them get the tyres working. So they lost a year of actually, you know, having to get the tyres working within themselves. And it's very easy to sort of turn around and shoot yourself in the foot with that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, I think morning, the first morning of the test, we saw the Red Bull was a bit, a bit tricky. But they got on top of it very, very quickly. And, you know, after lunchtime on, on, uh, on Friday, you know, right through to the end of the test, the car looked, looked great. You know, Max was attacking corners like you can't believe. And, you know, Sergio wasn't doing a bad job. He, he did a, a competent job. The car looked okay. Um, but I think they're sort of, they were in different sort of levels of what they were trying to achieve as far as um, Max, obviously, with the, you know, the engine turned up a bit, goes out and tries, and rings it, ring, tries to wring its neck because that's what he's good at doing. Sergio was somebody that's very good at, at doing wrist running and looking after the tyres and trying to, you know, stabilise the wrist setup as best possible for the future. So they probably were on different programmes because they're good at different programmes. And Sergio will lift his game whenever he has to in qualifying in Bahrain, for sure. And Max will, the setup of the car will benefit from Sergio's input for the for the race and tyre degradation. So very, very difficult to know. But as I say, my, my big thing is the Red Bull looked very good. The Mercedes didn't look very good. Whether that's fuel load or not, I don't know. I'm sure Mercedes were, probably had more fuel in it than Red Bull. How much that is, if it's 10 kilograms or 20 kilograms, I, I don't know. But I'm sure it was probably more so. I think Mercedes have got a bit of work to do this time. Um, they're very good at doing that and getting to the first race and shocking everybody, I suppose you might call it. Um, but this this year might just be that they have to do it, to be honest. It certainly tallies with what I was seeing because with Verstappen, you could see, you know when a, a car's just really on it, on the brakes, turning, loads it up quickly, he could really get on the throttle aggressively, as you said, whereas Hamilton, you'd see him in the exit phase of Turn 11, which is kind of a medium speed, that uphill left-hander you could see the kind of car wobbling as, as he was just struggling to do it whereas just Verstappen and the Red Bull looked very planted I, I, I don't think the the Mercedes was as uh, was as light or being pushed as hard as the the Red Bull but that doesn't mean I think it was some kind of sandbagging thing there's clearly some kind of problem there so Mark how serious do you think that problem is because talk about a bit of rear-end instability for example that can be a small problem or a big problem can't it? Yeah, I think they're a little bit um, mystified at the moment. Um, it seems to be related to the the gusting wind in that it's, it, the, the wind is exposing a problem that's underlying with, with the car. 
um, whether that's inherent in the aerodynamics of that car or whether there's just a specific thing that's not working they don't don't seem to have a, a handle on yet and mechanically I'd, they, they, it wasn't a problem that they, they, they talked to them they, they say they they were no particular problem getting the tires into the the window no no more than usual um you know it tends to be a um, very rare limited circuit and you can easily get the, the rear tires too hot but that's always been the case they, they were saying there was no particular problem with that it was that didn't seem to be at the root of their problem so i think um yeah they have to go back and understand both that and the gearbox issue that lost them so much running and i think it's quite interesting looking at red bull in comparison there's there's two things there one is at the towards the end of last year when the Red Bull was working really well after Mercedes had switched off development, but the Red Bull continued to get better. They were adamant. They said, "No, we we're now understanding this car. We're now understanding the aero problem that we had, and if if we'd understood it quicker, we if we'd understood it earlier in the season, we we think the Mercedes was actually beatable." Um, and obviously that sounds a bold thing to say after Mercedes have just absolutely annihilated everyone. Um, but it's interesting that you, you know they, they come here and they've, they've, they've done what they've done. Um, the other thing is that I understand Red Bull now have um, a chassis uh, engine, chassis dyno um, at the factory, which is something that Mercedes has had for quite a few years. But typically we've seen Red Bull start winter testing with, you know, um, it's usually it's usually Red Bull of those two teams that doesn't that struggles to put the miles in and takes a little bit longer to get its car quick as a result. But um, it's it's sort of um, inverted this time, isn't it? So I wonder if there might be a, a link there. Now this is all well and good, but there will be people listening thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the usual Mercedes talking things down, sandbagging, not going quickly. So Gary, how seriously? Do you take this, and do you think that the aero reg changes are enough to have thrown a little bit of a curveball Mercedes way? Um, yeah, I, I think it is really. You know, again, it's the same old deal. Uh, whenever you've got a car that you're exploiting the downforce from it from from the aero surfaces, um, and there's a big change like we have with the floor, uh, all the stuff that makes that work well in the past, you have to you know re-optimize, I suppose you might call it, and. And, you know, Mercedes might not just have got on top of it. You know, we've always we sort of talked through the season that probably the high-rate cars would suffer more than the low-rate cars. But if you if you take it in general, that doesn't look like that. You know, it looks like the high-rate cars have actually benefited from this regulation change. Um, so, you know, Mercedes have always been adamant that their average sort of circuit performance with the low-rate car was better. Uh, with the length of their wheelbase and the floor area they've got in the low-rate car, it was a better overall car for the season, not necessarily for any one track. Uh, but it does look like these changes now are are uh, giving a little bit of a benefit to the higher-rate cars, which is is surprising in my book, but, you know, um, that's what aerodynamics are all about. It's, it's not black and white, or else every car would be you know doing the same performance. So it could be that uh, Mercedes have to change their, their, their direction a little bit you know the the um alpha tori is is a high rate car as well it's you know it's uh, it's a sister of the the, the uh, red bulls so that car looks really good never mind the fact whether they're going to be on pole at the first race or whether they're going to be um quick 
you know, all you've got to do is look at the sort of body language of the car, I suppose, and, and the high-rate cars in general had a better you know, body language, I suppose. If you take the, the Aston Martin or the Mercedes, they didn't look just as good as, as what you'd normally see them to be. So I think there might be a bit of a change of philosophy there that they need, they need to look at. It's, it's difficult to do. It's not just a five-minute job of you know, raising the rear ride height. There's a lot of work to do to, to make that all function. We've always said that. Um, and up to now, Mercedes have proved that the low-rate car was a good solution, but it might be time to change. Yeah, the Alpha Tauri from trackside certainly looked very good and very consistent. Sonoda was able to attack with it, had the odd small moment, but nothing particularly problematic. does look like a, a, very, uh, a very solid car. And conversely, the Aston Martin you referenced there was was quite unremarkable it always seemed actually a little bit like the mercedes just a you know just when a car just doesn't look alive and you look at it and you think oh it just looks like it's it's either just in a big it's either having a big understeer or it's limited a bit on entry so that the driver is not able to attack so that's it's really interesting how well uh, how well that tallies we should mention ferrari mark they're a, a high rate car i'm i'm kind of with each passing day getting less uh, less positive about the ferrari having watched it a fair bit today with science at the wheel, it didn't look very convincing. I have to say, mm, it's. I mean, eventually, it it it, it science got a sort of respectable-ish performance from it. Um, his his single lap late on the in the C fours was actually a, a pretty good lap. Um, it's it's about nine tenths off um of what the Red Bull did when he make allowances for the uh, the, the tires, but um. Yeah, it's it, it's not it, you know it's, it's clearly not as as, as dynamite as as um, the Red Bull, um, but I think just from today's performance, it's it's sort of about as as good as they might have hoped for in terms of the the improvement. It's, it's a more solid, uh, less problematical looking car than last year's. Um, it did they did two. Um, Race sims, uh, one with Leclerc in the morning and one with Sainz in the afternoon. Um, the interestingly, not not many of the teams chose to do that. There's only a couple, and um, asking why. They, um, Mercedes was saying, "Well, for us, there were too many things we needed to find out. It, each runs an experiment, and we didn't feel we had the time to do a a race sim. You know, because we we sort of it's basically the same car. We already know that we can." fuel it up and we'll do a race sim all right so we need to find out other things and other things were being prioritized but ferrari did one and it looked okay in fact it was um the one that science did was probably better than um the alpha tari even though the alpha tari was a little bit quicker over one lap um they did very very similar long runs sonoda and science it was a uh, 13 laps 15 laps and 20 laps for the the, the stints um, starting on the mediums and then two stints on the hard for for both cars. Um, and in that comparison, and they were done at about the same time, so the track was roughly similar. In that comparison, science comes out about 10 seconds ahead, even though on single lap, um, Sonoda was quicker. But uh, So, yeah, it's it's sort of in that mix. But uh, as I say, uh, apparently, if, if you, you know, if, if we take... To today as a, as a reading is the best reading that we've got it's it's you know probably nine tenths nine tenths off the ultimate pace yeah no i mean i think we'd have to expect that though mark wouldn't we? you know since has done a few grand prix knows how to handle the tires and bring them in and keep them there as best possible 
I think Sonoda with every lap is learning about that sort of thing. So I, I you know, I I think it's one of those situations where for sure Ferrari are in a better position than they were. I think you're about right, it's around that nine tenths or a second slower than the whoever's gonna be quick. But it's um it's it's not enough to take them to the battle at the front. It's enough to maybe get them to the front of the of the midfield bunch, but it's not enough to get them to latch onto the back of those guys at the front. Whoever they be. It was interesting watching those those race runs from trackside because, again, the, I do wonder if the Ferrari was struggling a bit with the wind sensitivity as well because I was messaging you, Mark, a few times saying, oh, the science isn't looking particularly good and confident on entry. And on one part of that race run, he wasn't. And then m- later on, he was beginning to look much more consistent and solid, whereas Sonoda didn't change a great deal. So I just wonder if that indicates maybe the Ferrari is a little bit more sensitive to that. But actually, I, I wanted to ask you, Gary, about the wind sensitivity because we spoke to George Russell after the day. And I was slightly puzzled with the Williams because I was watching it at Turn 11 and it seemed to be doing different things. And I thought, you know, sometimes you see drivers trying a few different things, working out, moving the trade-offs around, shall we say. So sometimes you compromise the entry a bit and you get the mid-corn. But it just seems to be a little bit extreme. So I did say to Russell, well, you seem to be doing that. So was that what was going on or was I was I just imagining it? To which his response was, well, yeah, I think you are imagining it, but this was actually down to the wind sensitivity that was having the impact. So it was the old thing with trackside. You're always trying to work out what's input and what's output. And it seemed to be an output consequence of the wind. But interestingly, what he said was that Williams had made a conscious decision to to really go for the peak downforce and risk having a slightly peaky and well, having a peaky and wind-sensitive car rather than a more flat aero map. And as he was saying this, this set off all my uh, Gary Anderson-related alarms in my head because this is a big hobby horse of yours. So what do you make of that philosophy? Do you think that makes sense, particularly for a team that's struggling? Because they said, well, we might as well have 10 good races and 13 really bad ones because we're we're struggling to score points. Do you think that's a legitimate course of action or do you think that doesn't really makes sense and it's just it's just going to be a problem um i read your article your column ed, ed on it so I'm, I'm prepared for this one um just shows i am loyal to the to the race but um and i'm sure it set off some of your internal alarms as well <laughs> yeah it did i mean i don't understand that philosophy in any way because with all the best will in the world george russell and his williams is always going to be in traffic or turbulence or and that's the same effect as wind you know on a clear lap, on your own, out the track there, you can you know, go to Silverstone, a big open circuit, and you can be wind-affected. That's fine. But with all, you know, again, when there is a chance to score points, he will always be stuck in a traffic jam of some sort because he's not going to be qualifying on pole. If you can sort of guarantee getting on pole or the front row and being able to blast off into the distance or maybe only having one car ahead of you, uh, and being quick enough to, you know, let, have a gap to that guy ahead of you and not be compromised by somebody behind you, then build a car that's, that's aerodynamically sensitive to, to high levels of downforce and stressing the surfaces. But if you're going to be stuck at best 14th, 15th, 16th in the pack, it's going to be a nightmare. And I just, I would never buy into that philosophy with with a team like Williams. Um, Red Bull, yeah, okay, accept it. Mercedes, okay, you accept it. But we've seen on occasions last year, year before, you know, Mercedes get behind somebody and they're moaning like hell about the, you know, the turbulence, they can't overtake, they can't do this, they can't do that. That's just because they have more downforce. They have, you know, optimized the surfaces to give more downforce. Everything's working that bit harder. Everything's stressed that bit harder. So change that, that good airflow that's going to the car by a few degrees or a bit of turbulence in it, it just disappears out the window. So 
what is the point of a mid, at best, a mid-grid team building a sensitive car? Somebody tell me that because I, I've, I can't, I can't relate to it at all. That's an excellent rant, Gary. A good, a good rant. I like rants. But, but it, makes, well, it, makes, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and also, Mark, looking at the times of the Williams, the Williams is about probably where we'd expect it to be, isn't it? So it's not, it's not like they're suddenly throwing in brilliant laps. And I know the conditions because it was so windy all the way through, even though that wind eased over the, over the three days. He, Russell did say it was about the worst conditions for the car. We're not really seeing anything particularly unexpected there that we wouldn't expect to see from, a, from the same aero philosophy or a more conservative one. Yeah, exactly. And and when you look at two the, the the two cars that really looked drivable, not not like in the in the way that the Red Bull would was it the Red Bull looked a different league today, but in in the way that the drivers seemed to be able to adapt and do anything they they wanted with them, it was the Alpha Tauri and the McLaren. I thought um, the, both those cars looked very very drivable, and they look like they you know they've they've been guided by a philosophy more like Gary's, I would have said, than the, than this peaky. Um, chase of big downforce um so yeah i think um yeah it 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 just looks it just looks um very similar to to last year and actually it interestingly there's um quite a few drivers were saying they were getting when they were up close to the williams they've they were finding the turbulence was more extreme than behind other cars, as I don't know what the significance of that might be. Any idea on that, Gary? Again, it's the same deal. If, if their downforce surfaces are changing, um, then the turbulence from them will be will be worse. You know, if you've got good flow over your car and it's consistently good flow over your car, be it producing lots of downforce or not producing lots of downforce, then the car the car behind you will will be getting consistently um, affected flow, but not variable affected flow. You know, so let, let's say you take, you know, what is, let's ask the question here, what is um, peaky downforce? Peaky downforce is something where, you know, you, you get your front wing angles and you play with them and your flaps and you set them up and you go from, you know, 19 degrees of flap angle for a number just to 20 and you lose everything. Whereas other cars would be, you go from 19 degrees flap angle to 20 and you gain a little bit. You know, if you're running it, if you run the surfaces so they're too highly stressed, they just fall apart immediately. That affects the car behind you as well, because you know at the end of the day, you can you can follow something that's giving you a decent airflow, but following something that's that's got a lot of turbulence coming off it because of the changing airflow, then that makes it makes it more difficult because it's inconsistency. Inconsistency, you know, just bites the driver. That's the problem. The driver gets no confidence in it. You need to give a driver a confident car, a consistent car, and you can see that as you said out there on the Alpha Tori. You know, you could see it was a consistent car. The drivers would get in the car and bush, there's a lap time there, you know, almost immediately. They didn't have to sort of fight to get there or struggle. The McLaren looks the same. McLaren looks, you know, a consistent car. Either Norris or Ricardo can get in it and bush. They've got a competitive lap time there immediately. So that's the only way you can get the confidence the confidence into the driver to push to the limit because he knows what the car's going to do. He can feel the car. Whenever a car's got peaky downforce, it just, it'll just bite him a few times and then you don't go near that peak because you can't. You just don't have the confidence. I wonder if it was significant that it was a Williams that um, the Red Bull was behind when the engine cover got uh, ripped off. Exactly. I mean, that's only turbulence. That's all it is. You know, whenever Perez was following them there, that you know, the, the car's bouncing around all over the place. You know, and obviously it was an, a fixing a fixing problem on the engine cover or something. 
But you could probably monitor that behind all the cars and see which ones were the best or the worst. And that's a typical place where a peaky downforce car will struggle. Down the straight, the ride heights have got low, stuff is, is stalling um, because it, it gives you more downforce when it's not in the stall. But it, but to do that, it has, it'll stall quicker and, and the turbulence becomes more and more. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the turbulence level coming off the back of the Williams generated that engine cover um, problem. And if he had been following a, a Mercedes or a Red Bull at the same time, that it probably wouldn't have. So um, it'd be interesting to do that test sometime. You mentioned the McLaren as well. That did look quite impressive in the hands of Daniel Ricciardo. He was pretty consistent and able to able to carry the speed. So that's quite encouraging for, for McLaren. I did also want to mention Fernando Alonso because it's good to see him back in action. And it was like he'd never been away. The usual commitment on entry. The Alpine doesn't seem like too bad a car. I don't think they've really moved up a great deal. They still look to be in about the same place. But it, it, look, it looks all right, doesn't it, Mark? Yeah, I mean, it looks um, consistent. It did doesn't have the it's it's losing out somewhere because it looks to be about half a second off the pace of the the McLaren say um but yeah it did, didn't look like it it's got a fundamental problem yeah and as long as their uh, their philosophy with a more bulbous design of airbox is working out and makes sense then they they could be in, in could be in quite good shape we should briefly mention the tires they're running at slightly lower pressures slightly more understeer balance uh, of the tires gary we heard a few complaints about getting used to the the new spec the construction's changed do you think there's any particular concerns there or is it just slight tire change of course it's going to take a bit of time to get on top of them well it's probably going to take a bit of time but i think what what you can do is look at uh at sonoda and the alpha tori at the end of today you know the last day of the test he was able to put tires on the car and go out there and you know have them right for the start of the of his uh, qualifying laps and he did quite a few of them so you know, he's a new driver, inexperienced totally, hasn't tried to be the Mr. Mr. Know-it-all by any means. He was just given the opportunity to run a car that's probably on fairly low fuel with new tyres on it. And uh, he succeeded every time he tried to, to go a little bit better. And that means he was able to bring the tyres into a nice working window and, and get, get them working for a qualifying lap at least. Maybe the race distance will be a bit different for him because that's a different discipline and you need a lot of miles to pull that together. But at least, you know, he was able to take those tires, make them work, whether it was the, you know, it didn't matter what tires, he, he ran the C3, C4 and C5, I think, and, you know, all of them, he was able to get them working for when he needed them working. So I don't think there's a big drama there. I think anybody that's using it now will be using it, using it as an excuse, and it'll come from the balance of the car more than the actual tire. If you don't have a decent balance on the car, then one end will not, will not start working as, as quickly as the other end. And that's a bigger, much, much bigger problem than actually the tyre itself. And I think one team we haven't mentioned at all during testing, we probably should, is Alfa Romeo, simply because people look at the timesheets. They've been in the top six on all three days, completed the joint most uh, most laps along with Alfa Tauri. Alfa Romeo looked decent on track. I mean, ultimately, Mark, it looked pretty much like what you'd expect it to in that it was reasonably well-balanced, but probably doesn't have the the peak aero load. I think we probably saw Kimi Raikkonen on, as Gary likes to say, the sniff of an oily rag in the in the final hour. So we can probably take that Alfa Romeo time as, as what that, that car can do. Yeah, and I mean, Gary's weight, um, weight analysis pre-season, um, weight analysis guide um, had showed you that historically the... Um, the, the the difference in weight in between testing and and and, and qualifying 
for for that team was um, not very big. So, yeah, I think it 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 looked more competitive than it probably really really is. But it 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 looked okay. It looked probably um, it looked as though it's probably moved moved away from the Williams a little bit. Um, and the the Haas is still still round about at the back somewhere, but yeah, it, it looks like it might be in a little sort of no man's land. Actually, the Alpha this year. Don't say we're going to have to have a Class D classification as well. If uh, they're going to be Class C all on their own, that'll that'll make things too awkward. But you never know. It's not. It wasn't such a big bound for them to get to to Class B. So they could maybe just sort of latch almost onto the back of that. That would be uh, that would be interesting. But to come back to the big topic, obviously everyone wants to know where. Red Bull are compared to, to Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton said that, that Red Bull looks like a different animal this year. Max Verstappen even let through a few little uh, glimpses of, of optimism. Obviously, nobody's going to declare themselves favourite or they're going to downplay it. But from what we've seen over the last three days, do we think that there's a greater chance of a real fight at the front than perhaps we thought there might be over the winter? Well, yeah, from my point of view... I think that Red Bull have done a very, very good job. Now, if you take that uh, that article I did on on the rear suspension and just looking at the back of the car, the back of the car looks absolutely fantastic. There isn't one little thing out of place, you know. It is just so neatly done. Um, and any of the other cars, and I include the Mercedes here, you look at it, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit, um, I don't know what you might call it, clumbersome I suppose there's a lot of little things that are in the way of other little things and it's wrong to say that about Mercedes but I think with the Red Bull it's the high rate that that, that gives you that little bit of a visual on the fact that it's it's so clean and tidy um, and obviously the, the splitters in the diffuser etc um, so I do think the Red Bull have made significant progress um, I think the battle at the front could be tit for tat between the two of them and I hope it is starting the season but then I do think that there isn't anybody filling that gap up yet in my book. I don't think there is a, a third team to join them. I think there'll be the gap and then there'll be the, the the next bunch coming along. Yeah, that certainly seems to be the case. But Mark, are you going to be rushing uh, rushing online to place a bet on Red Bull for, for Bahrain? I'm not a betting man, as you know. I think I, I tried I tried betting on Yana truly once and it, it failed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it... it, it it looks. I mean, forget the comparison to the Mercedes for the moment. You know, Mercedes have got its own particular problems, but just compared to last year's Red Bull, it looks a lot nicer. It doesn't look as demanding a drive. Um, you know, you could see last year when Max really wrung its neck. It was it was a very demanding car. He was always on top of it. He was always able to you know squeeze a lap time from it, but n- none of the other drivers could. Um, but this this looks actually a nice car. It, it looks just balanced, and you know, it just doesn't look as uh, as physical a drive. I would say it just looks like a very very nice car on track. The one thing I just like to add is just that you know Perez could be further away than than Albon was last year, and that's no no a criticism of Perez, but it's just the fact that if you give Max a better car. He will use every thousandth of a second of it because you know he is an exceptional driver. He does really have an exceptional feel for just ripping lap time out of a car. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. But I think Max in a good car will be absolutely exceptional. Well, I think that's what everybody is hoping for. Every neutral F1 fan 
wants to see a battle up the front, don't they, ultimately? The ideal thing would be if Red Bull and Mercedes have similar potential over the season. At least there's a little bit of reason to be optimistic. And I guess the final question, if you wanted to pick a midfield leader, who would you go for, Mark? Mercedes. (laughs) (laughs) Controversial. That's going to get Twitter going. (laughs) Um, Probably Alpha Tauri. Oh, interesting call. Yeah, I mean, Alpha Tauri, I think, will do a good job. Uh, I think the battle be- between Alpha Tauri and, and uh, McLaren, in my book, I think they're both very capable. It depends on how they turn the corner, you know. Uh, I don't think we can expect Sonoda to do as well as he did today, but I think we can expect Gasly to do a very good job. But uh, it's just turning that corner over the next two weeks to getting the, you know, a race weekend mentality into your head as opposed to a all-day thrash, you know, four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon. It's a lot different whenever you haven't got so much time at the track and you've got to make it work for you. So one of those two, I think, will be the ones that step up the game and lead that midfield pack. I have to say, I do wonder if it will be McLaren. Prior to the test, I'd have probably said it should be Ferrari and the Aston Martin will be will be there, and it's still going to be close in that, that group, so it won't take much of a swing. But McLaren, I wasn't too upbeat about because I thought the compromises of the Mercedes power unit might hold them back a little bit in terms of the packaging but it just looks like it's it's working the car's running and doing what it should do which is which is really really uh encouraging for them so yeah we'll see i i think definitely agree there's that there's going to be that divide whatever happens but yeah the big question is going to be red bull or, or mercedes whatever happens testing has given us a bit of reason to be hopeful there may be a fight at the front we're not necessarily guaranteeing it because testing is testing but it's been a slightly surprising three days with these carryover cars. So plenty to look forward to when the Bahrain Grand Prix gets underway in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks very much, Mark Hughes and Gary Anderson, for your insights. Have a look at therace.com, and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there, including Mark's pace analysis, that piece Gary referenced, analysing the rear end of the, the Red Bull. Do check out our YouTube channel as well, search for The Race, and if you have a look, there's a the top tech secrets already revealed in F1 testing, which has plenty of... Uh, of, of Gary's insight included in that as well, including what he was talking about with the, the Red Bull suspension. And also check out our sister podcast, Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. We'll be back later in the week to take a more reflective look at all the lessons from testing. But in the meantime, thanks for joining us during F1's short but sweet pre-season. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.